Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day in the capital. Let's see how long it lasts. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dr. Paul Hutchison, founder and director of Hutchison Legal & Associates. Paul, hello. Uh, Good morning, Matthew. How are you? Very well. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. We might as well delve straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? The word leader means to me someone who is prepared to uh, be accountable for decisions that need to be made within a team. Mm -hmm. I think there is a tendency, and I think it's a negative tendency, to put a leader, say, on a pedestal and differentiate a leader from a team, and there's sort of an us and them scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, a leader must be uh, a part of a team and must be a good team player. But ultimately, someone has got to step in and make decisions, and the leader has to know when and what decisions uh, need to be made. Uh, so to paraphrase uh, Harry Truman, uh, the person with whom the buck stops. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, in, in all areas of industry, mine included, there is, there is the need for accountability, accountability on so many levels. And the buck has got to stop with someone. And that is something that I believe a good, la- a good leader cannot and will not delegate. Now, uh, you have expanded quite rapidly. Uh, what are the challenges in leading uh, a group as large as yours? I think the challenges that I face most often are the diverse nature of of the general public. I mean, I work with a mixture of friends and family um, and people who before they've joined the business, but I've never worked with. And these people have cultural backgrounds, racial backgrounds. They have their own ideas. And so as a leader, if you like, my job is to understand uh, the personalities of the people that we work with and to ensure that the qualities that they can bring to the team, uh, as diverse as they are, all knit very well together. So are you trying to establish a, a cohesive community within uh, the workplace, a, a unique community to itself? Or are you trying to mesh in all the different sorts of backgrounds of your, uh, your staff uh, to create a, a sort of cornucopia of views? I think what you just said is um, we're looking for is a hybrid of the two. We're trying to create something unique by meshing in the the diverse backgrounds and skills of the people involved. Um, That will create something unique. And again, to coin another commonly quoted phrase, um, you know, the sum of the of the parts is greater than the whole. So, bringing all of those backgrounds and skills and cultures uh, and and empathies together builds a very, very unique and strong team. Now, you have clients across uh, the United Kingdom, Europe, and the wider world. Uh, what are the specific challenges involved in managing such a diverse uh, client base? Other than the obvious ones, which are, of course, the, you know, the language difficulties of dealing with someone uh, from, a different, uh, from a different country uh, and the obvious logistics, um, the, the main problem that we have, and I've touched on it a couple of times when I'm talking about my own team, is understanding the, the cultural sensitivities. Um, I'm very fortunate that, that uh, my family background um, has involved 
people who have, have lived in different countries, vastly different countries, from Muslim countries uh, to Hindu countries. And, you know, I have understood from a very early age how those uh, cultures can clash if, if we're not careful. And so dealing with uh, clients all over the world with that degree of empathy and cultural sensitivity, I think uh, sets us and uh, you know, a good leader apart from others where there is no cultural sensitivity. That word empathy really speaks volumes. It does sound like your leadership style is very much based around empathy. Now, looking back uh, to your earlier career, was there an individual who showed you that empathy or was a mentor to you that has founded the way that you uh, operate today? Very much so. I think that anyone who is at the, um, the genesis of their career, whatever vocation they have chosen, who cannot pick someone who has uh, influenced them um, in terms of the way that they do business now isn't, isn't looking hard enough. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a positive influence. Of course, um, you know, people can, we can encounter people whose actions and leadership style has, have been something that you absolutely wouldn't want to copy. Um, but for me, I had a, a supervising partner at one of my previous jobs before I founded my firm. And you wouldn't know that he was the practice manager. You know, he, he ate with us. He, he drank with us. He laughed with us. He joked with us the idea of understanding. He did our job. He knew exactly what we were facing. He knew the challenges of the environment I was in and the environment I was in was one where we had to hit huge uh, targets for fees every month, which is obviously um, you know, endemic within the legal profession. But he'd been there. He understood it. And so when the team wasn't doing very well, he was, he was criticizing constructively from a position of empathy. And that is something that I've always wanted to carry into my business, everyone knows that the jobs I ask them to do, I have done myself. And that's something that I hold uh, very close to me and I, I hope I will never lose. Now, you touched on it slightly there. Um, there's obviously good leaders, but there are also bad ones. What separates a good leader from a bad leader? I think there can be a confusion or a blurring of the lines between uh, what you could call a good leader and, for want of a better phrase, a, di a dictatorship within a business. Um, and a bad leader, I believe, is someone who makes it very clear that they are the leader. And I'm not talking about making it clear in a time of crisis that there is someone that you can go to for direction and assistance. I'm talking about someone who is uh, absolutely... Uh, wanting everyone to, to look up to them and to respect them. And uh, I believe that people like that have a degree of, of low self-confidence and low self-esteem because why would you need to be promoting yourself and, and seeking the approval of your team at all times um, if, you had, if you were comfortable with who you are? So a good leader versus a bad leader, I think, is, is one where the bad leader will, will always be standing out as the leader. And that's not necessarily, uh, in my view, a good thing. So a, a lack of pomposity leads to a good leader. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now, uh, if we could look at the, uh, the wider scope of uh, society and history, if you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Now, that's a very, very good question. Um, I think to answer that, I would obviously look at all aspects of, of life um, through 
business world, through the corporate world, through uh, sports, obviously, um, and through the military. Um, and I have to say that, uh, and this may be somebody that a lot of people would come up with when they're asked this question, I know that when you have to give your top five uh, dinner guests, who would you have? This person appears on most people's list. But for me, uh, the greatest leader that I would I, I look up to and I think we've had uh, is Winston Churchill. And of course, uh, and Churchill was, believe- was very much about inclusive leadership, wasn't he? He formed the national government in uh, in 1940 to be able to bring both sides of, uh, of uh, uh, parliament together. Uh, how does he affect the way that you lead? I think the, the, the thing that I've taken most from him, um, I'm not, I totally agree with what you're saying, but the thing that I've taken most from, from, from how Churchill led was that how clearly he came in at a time of crisis. And yes, there was the unification uh, of, of, all, of all sides during the war. But anyone who can come in at a time of crisis and, and lead with that level of calm, um, and sincerity and empathy. Again, here comes that word. Uh, I, I, he, he is just a total inspiration. And um, it, it is a, a mark of a, of a great leader or a good leader, I think, as well, is that, that when times are bad, how does that person step up? How will that person who is designated the leader uh, wear, you know, sort of, um, weather the storm and ride uh, the waves? And that is is something that Churchill did, and something that you know we we don't get many downs in in our business. But when things do go wrong or things do need sorting, I am the one that will take ultimate responsibility and see what I can do to put it right. Again, the bucks stops with you. Uh, unfortunately, Correct. the time is also stopping with us at the moment. We are running perilously close to the end of our time together, uh, but you have to come back on and share some more of your insight with us. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store uh, for your firm? The plan for me is, is personally to take a step back and, and maybe um, in light of the discussions that we've had, be more of a leader focus more on developing the business and helping the team. But for me, um, uh, personally taking a step back from being on the cold face and seeing clients quite as much, there is so much that I have to do uh, ensuring that the business is continuing to grow and get and develop in the right direction and looking after those people who I work with who, who, who are the backbone of the business. So the next 12 months will see me slipping more into a hopefully a leadership role, a quiet leadership role um, and helping the team on so many levels to, to continue to flourish as well as they're doing now. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to having you on the show again uh, very soon in the future. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you very much, Matthew. That was Dr. Paul Hutchinson, founder and director of Hutchinson Legal and Associates. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, 
score nothing for Essex. Uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't. And, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where. Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in 
by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially on South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, 
on Jimmy Gray's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that Al showed, he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." <laughs> so that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round." You know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, you... we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.